Hello and welcome to Trees Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've watched Pedro Almodovar's recent short film, The Human Voice. This came out in 2020, mm. and I believe it was made under lockdown conditions. Yeah, in the middle of lockdown. I mean, it was delayed because of lockdown, but still, I think production began in July last year. So it's based on uh, Jean Cocteau's one-person monodrama, I think the word is. Yeah, it's a monologue, yeah. Uh, from 1930, which has been adapted and has inspired many different films and, yeah. and let other me, works. Let me say a little bit about that, actually, because it's almost like a showcase for all the great female stars of the period. Mm. So there's been a version with Simone Signoret, with Sophia Loren, Anna Magnani uh, did uh, a film of it with Rossellini that was written by Fellini, I think, uh, one of the segments of, of a film. Ingrid Bergman did it for American television. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's got a huge lineage. It's almost where like the great actress divas of the day yeah. kind of prove their mettle. And I believe it was written as a kind of way to shut up his actresses who were complaining that his characters weren't rich enough for them. They were, he wasn't giving them enough to do. No. So he said, well, here's the end. Fuck you. Here's a challenge, you know. Uh-huh. Um, and in this, it's Tilda Swinton. And it's Pedro Almodovar's first English language film. And I was just asking you, does he speak English? Because yes. it's dialogue heavy. I think he speaks English, and he speaks English, I would say, fluently, though with a very heavy Spanish accent. Though, I think one of the great things about Almodovar that is not appreciated outside of Spain is what an ear he's got. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so often, you know, watching characters in his films is like hearing my aunts talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, because he is from a kind of working class rural background, you know, and so the expressions and... Yeah, there is a kind of, you know, the way that language is used and a kind of a subtlety of the use of language. You know, the subtitles don't give you that. And actually, I think for me, this is one of the things that is lacking in this film. Yeah, The poetry and the language. Well, the way that Tilda Swinton speaks that language. And, mm. and in fact, that language itself, I kind of felt, you know, that uh, maybe it's just my prejudice, but I think had he done it in Spanish, there would have been different layers. Sure. Mm. Um, so I suppose we should say briefly what it's about, which is about this woman who, in this case, is played by Tilda Swinton, uh, who is waiting in her house or apartment or wherever it may be set for her lover to come home. And she says at the start, it's been three days and it's always been three days, but you always came home and this time you haven't. And then a phone call to him ensues and you just hear the one side of it. He's an invisible participant, invisible and inaudible yes. on the other end. It's a monologue. So her husband, uh, her, her lover has left her. And so uh, she's just waiting for him to pick up mm. yeah, his She's packed bags. his things. And pick uh, up the dog as well. Yeah, and he doesn't arrive. Um, and actually, this is a work that has been in Almodovar's mind, or <laughs> at least uh, uh, since 1986-87, because the uh, play is performed in Almodovar's Law of Desire, yeah, including yeah, the, the scene where Carmen Maura takes the axe. Yeah, um, and, of course, it's the basis for Women on the Verge of a Nurse Breakdown, and there are echoes of it in this film, the scenes in the balcony, the watering the plants in the balcony, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, the setting fire. Yeah, all of those things happen 
in Women on the Version of a Nervous Breakdown. And then it was retaken again in the film that he did with Penelope Cruz. Volver? Uh, no, not Volver. Uh, wait a second. Uh, Broken Embraces. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so in Broken Embraces, he's got a film within a film yeah, that is also based on uh, Women of the Virgin of a Nervous Breakdown. That's given the original title for the film, or you know the original concept, which was suitcases and stewardesses. And, right. Yeah. Uh, so the film within the film is based on Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Or yeah. The Human Voice. Well, both. Right. Yeah. Because that is based on the Human that's Voice. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, so um, all of this by way of saying that this is material that has been on his noodle. Yeah, for like 40 years, really. Yeah, yeah. and this is a straight-up adaptation of it. Um, although not as a long as... A free adaptation. Yes, that's right. It does say in the credits as well, freely based on uh, Jean Cocteau's play. Um, and you can see why, right? It's given... It, you get the ability to play, once you have this central conceit, you can you can manipulate this in all sorts of ways that you like. I get the, I really get the feeling this is this is... I mean, I'm not someone who's very well-versed in Almodovar, not nearly as much as you are, um, but you, I really get a strong feeling that this is Almodovar deconstructing himself, looking at his own tropes and his own characters and the thing, that his own themes, love, <laughs> women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Yeah. So um, the place that Tilda Swinton lives looks like any of his houses or flats that you've seen before. It's kind of very brightly coloured. With, with, an, with an older palette, with a... With a more complex and subtle yeah. palette, right? So, you know, the greens this time are olive green. Yeah, he's working kind of with patterns on the olive green. <laughs> yeah, the, you know, the kitchen has red accents rather than being like orange or the way that sure. it would have been in the past, right? So it's kind of, it's, it's, it's still bright. Well, but, it's still, but, still very boldly coloured. So yeah, but in a darker, more subtle, more complex kind of arrangement. Really. Sure. Um, but what you quickly realise, I don't even think it's much of a reveal, I think it's quite clear at the start, this is a set inside a warehouse, and the walls are drywall, these are you know, plywood. I think that's so clever, because, you know, how... You know, so there are different ways of opening up a stage play, and particularly, like, a, a monologue, right? Mm. You know, theatrical monologue. So there is a scene where she goes to a hardware store to buy an axe, right? But mostly it's kind of done through the opposite of what you expect. So rather than filmic in quotation marks, you know, or uh, opening up the, sp the, the space that a theater would provide, he does the opposite. He kind of shows you that it's all being filmed in a set. So actually the theatricality of mm. the film is part of the way that it makes it like so cinematic. Yeah, and the camera's used to emphasise it. So it's not just that you see the out the exterior of this set and that you see that it's in a warehouse, but the camera will, will fly across the top of the set. So you see where the walls end and that you're just looking in at this plan view from above and things like that. It never really lets you forget that this is what you're looking at. And at the end, when the film reaches its 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 conclusion, she burns it down, which which... I, you know, she burns it down and she leaves with the dog on a new adventure. She says to the dog, you're my dog now, we're going off on this day, we'll mourn him together. But it really plays, to me at least, as uh, a, a, not a disavowal, but a, a, a kind of a saying goodbye to uh, those 
aesthetics and tropes that Amadobar has used for years and years and years and the embrace of something well, new. I'm not sure if it's saying goodbye to those tropes. It's saying no, goodbye. I'm not saying like he'd never do it again, but it, it does have a sense of that. Well, it's saying goodbye to that... Because, um, you know, the whole thing is about an intensely lived love affair that has just broken up. Mm-hmm. So that ending is going away from that dream world, from that fantasy, mm-hmm. yeah, and entering the real world, yeah? And so... You know the, the 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 love affair has been a movie in a way, <laughs> so um, and and it's actually kind of very poetically kind of uh, depicted. Yeah, it's kind of the move away from that set, the burning down of that world, which has been an imaginary world, a fantasy world, but a world that she's intensely felt. Mm. Yeah, and been very real to her, but then kind of walking off with the dog into the to, the streets of Madrid. Yeah. So sometimes. You know, you're made to think that you are actually in this bedroom or in this living room, you know, and at other times it's made clear that it's the set of a living room and so on, right? Um, And um, it progresses. Well, it doesn't quite progress, actually, because you are shown, the first image you see of her is her in this amazing red ball gown, Mm. right, against a warehouse wall. Um, So the film plays with all that, but there's still the dialogue, right? There's still, though... The monologue begins a few minutes into the film itself, yeah, mm-hmm. and she lies, yeah, she's lying to her boyfriend, right, or to mm-hmm. her lover, saying, oh, "I'm fine. I went to this restaurant. I went to the theater. I've been seeing my therapist," and then you realize that actually that she's not telling you that that she hasn't been telling the truth, right? Mm-hmm. That she's been a mess, kind of, you know, throughout. So actually, you 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 get the sense that, um, and it's a very interesting thing because. You know, I I suspect, though I actually haven't read the play, but I suspect that it ends with a suicide, you know, that kind of the whole world crumbles and so on. Whereas actually this one is very much, you know, she sets fire to the house, you know, mm. which is one ending, but then, and you think she's in it, right? And she tells the lover, you know, what you see is me burning or something. Mm. But actually, no, that's kind of, it's the burning of an episode in her life and a move on to the next one. So it's a kind of a little bit of a triumphant. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Do you think you're meant to think that she's in it for a split second? Because I didn't, I thought it was clear she was stood outside setting fire to it. I wasn't clear until the film made it clear. Sure. Yeah, but there was a moment where when she says, you, she's on the phone, she says, you see that smoke, it's me burning. That I thought, well, it, yeah, it could be. <laughs> right, no, and I then, think... and then the ca- then you get another shot, and you see that she's outside the fire. Yeah. Right. No, to be fair, I thought it was clear from that point, and it, was, it struck me as, as just poetic, sort of straight facedly poetic that mm. she was saying, "It's me burning," and mm. you know, she's, "I'm on fire." Here. Mm. Um, it felt a lot shorter than I th- when I, I th- it came to the end, and I thought, "Oh, there'll be another section where she leaves, and you see her take on a new, whatever it might be." Mm. But no, that was the end. It actually felt even for a film that's half an hour long, really short and very quick. And I thought my tolerance for this was going to be really low when it began. I thought your tolerance for it was going to be really low. So um, what it was not? <laughs> it, was, it, it was initially. You know, initially I thought, oh, this is pretty indulgent. This isn't really my kind of thing. It's not, I, I don't, you know, there, are, there have been monologue sort of things and things like this that I've enjoyed. I just thought this isn't going to be one of them, but it grew on me very quickly. Um, it, it, it's um, so beautiful. It really made me think about lockdown as well because... Her isolation in that house is so vivid, especially when, especially because the dog is constantly looking for the lover who's not there, 
and is not really that interesting. Sniffing at the suitcases. Yeah, and and then the way that his suit is laid out on the bed is like the Invisible Man, you know, like yeah. this, this this image of a man who isn't there. Um, yes, you do get an acute sense of loneliness. You also get an acute sense of the living space, which has been important in lockdown. So it's not just a, a trope with Almodovar that he pays great attention mm. to uh, spaces and the way that they're decorated and the way that they look. right? But I think it was also a characteristic of lockdown. Yeah, We were in our apartments or in our houses, and you know that was um, the extent uh, of our world. So let me pick up on a couple of things, because... You know, the film is so absolutely archetypal Almodovar, right? From the extraordinary um, credit sequence, uh, which is by Juan Gatti. Uh, And then, you know, the images, which uh, are by Jose Luis Alcaine, who who has been Almodovar's regular cinematographer uh, for the last 20, 25 years or so. And the images are so extraordinary. You know, that red dress against, Mm. you know, that backdrop and... um, and every, everything counts. You see all of his obsessions, right? So, you know, the paintings, actually there's a credit to the paintings. So you have Vargas, Man Ray photographs, uh, a Gentilecki painting, uh, a Vargas drawing of a, you know, of a half-naked woman. Um, yeah, so all of these things are, all, all, he's obsessed with art and beauty. Yeah, like, uh, you know, the ceramic pots in the bookshelves and, mm. you know, and everything means. So you you are shown uh, Tilda Swinton arranging, yeah, her coffee table. And what do you see on the coffee table? You see Almodovar's obsessions. Yeah, Breakfast at Tiffany's, two Cirque films, Written on the Wind and All That Heaven Allows. The, you know, Jackie. Um, Kill Bill. Uh, Kill Bill. <laughs> the Phantom Thread. Yeah, but also, you know, Tender is the Night, you know, the Fitzgerald and the, the, the Monroe stories. Yeah, these are things he goes back to over and over and over again. And I think he also references a little bit, at least, you know, these previous monologues, because on the bookshelf you see, you know, an autobiography of Ingrid Bergman and, yeah, mm. and so on. So it's not a cluttered house, yeah, but it's a house that is, you know, decorated with objects and paintings that each mean something or each fulfill a role, a role yeah, in the narrative. Um, and, and you see in it also a kind of an obsession with, with art and beauty yeah, mm. in life, really, as a way of making sense of life. Can you suggest what some of those significances are? Because this was at the point, of the, this is early on when she's arranging that, that coffee table and putting everything away, and you're meant to notice all of those titles. Yes. Um, and this was at the point where I was thinking, oh, this will not be my cup of tea, because just listing, you know, works that you admire or like, whatever it might be, putting them in, is not, I would never think that's enough, really. Well, but for me, it's all very significant, really, because, you know, um, you begin to detect a sensibility, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, he often references uh, Truman Capote in his works, right? So... You know, the reference to Breakfast at Tiffany is not the reference to the movie, it's a reference to the Capote novella. Uh, to his own interest in Novella, Capote. yeah. You know, which I think I remember in, in All About My Mother, he quotes Capote directly, uh, saying something like, you're called to be a writer to self-flagellate or something like that. 
Um, so these are kind of recurring obsessions. The, Mon the, the Monroe short story is the same. You know, Written in the Wind, I mean, his whole directorial style, I think, mm -hmm. is based on Cirque, you know? Uh, just the way he moves the camera and actually how he uses mise-en-scene. It's a very Cirquean kind of mise-en-scene throughout mm -hmm. his career. So to me, those things are not accidental and they're not just No, no, like, I certainly don't think they're accidental, but they do feel thin. You know, it does tend to me to feel thin when someone will just name check. Something. Well, but I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't see those name checking. And in fact, I mean, it's about 10 seconds of the film, right? Yeah, it's not a yeah. long period. So, but nonetheless, this was at the point where I was thinking, you know, this was something that was making me think, oh, right, it's this kind of thing. Hmm. And I was glad when I found more slots more. onto. I, I, in fact, I, I did think the same thing about Tilda Swinton early on. I thought, oh, this is going to be her being grouchy or upset or angry in a number of different rooms mm. and one could very uncharitably say that that's exactly what it is but it, it's much more than that and actually she she's really emotionally fluid in the way she moves from one thing to another and I was thinking at one point this must be you god knows how long it took to shoot right it might have been like a week long shoot or two weeks or a month who knows, who knows? but they wouldn't have done it in a day and to be emotionally fluid and keep a through line from one shot to the next you know, over the course of shooting over several days with breaks and all the rest of it, that's got to be really, really hard, actually. You see, I mean, for me, I initially thought she wasn't good enough. Yeah. You know, be yeah, because I have seen Anna Magnani in it, and it's like an opera, right? Like, <laughs> you know, the emotion is so raw and fluid, and, you know, and you're in her mind, really, and you feel everything that she's feeling. You know, and I thought, you know, that uh, um, Tilda Swinton looks, looks beautiful, yeah, but that she was too reserved, and she's she's the opposite of Magnani. She's a, she's not an open actress. Mm -hmm. You know, she's a very closed off actress. Yeah, I think, you know, who then does really surprising things. Yeah, I mean, she goes you know to very daring places, but it starts off with being closed. I mean, I've also seen the Bergman one, and it's like kind of very typically such a masochistic performance. You know, she loves to suffer, Ingrid Bergman. <laughs> Um, so I thought that Tilda Swinton wasn't, you know. Did you think that throughout? Well, I thought that until the end. Right. You know, and then at the end, when she walks off into the streets of Madrid, mm. you then get a sense because, you know, this character has a lot more resourcefulness, mm. yeah, than Anana Magnani, who really will die of love. You never get the feeling that, or, or Carmen Maura in Women of the Virgin Earth's Breakdown, which also then has a happy ending. But throughout, she's suffering in such a raw yeah. Yeah, and funny form, you know. And this lacked both the humor and the rawness, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It doesn't have either of those um, um, very much. But I do think, I mean, I, I, I felt that resourcefulness um, and sense of resilience early on, in fact, when she's buying the axe, you know, even though you don't know what it's for. I, mean, I, I wasn't familiar with the play, so I didn't know what, what it would turn out to be. Um, but just the image of her buying an axe for one thing, and, and the dress, the, not the dress, but the, 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 the um, costume that she's in, um, and that she doesn't really seem to fit in this place at all. Not only the fact she's English and she's speaking Spanish in a Spanish store, but that she's, you know, upper class, mm. dressed very beautifully, um, doesn't seem to fit in this place and so and you can see it in the store clerk's face as well as she walks off he's looking at her like he this isn't the normal person who comes in what, that by the what way she doing buying this axe? is Amadova's brother oh is it yeah uh who does 
um, it's like a Hitchcock thing. His brother appears in right. all of his films in tiny roles. Yeah, sometimes just <laughs> walking down the street. But it's kind of like a, you know, a thing that they do. And this one, in fact, has not only the brother, but the nephews. So, you know, the two younger men, yeah, mm -hmm. that are on the side while she's buying the axe. That's yeah. it. You can tell instantly by the faces. <laughs> and then I, I noticed in the credits that it was indeed the case. Um, uh, but, then, uh, but then she gets home, and when she decides she's going to attack this suit, she gets the axe out and she takes the protective cover off it. The shot that is, it's a tracking shot, low down, you just see her feet in these heels, and the axe, uh, not quite dragging on the floor, but being held down. That's, that's, and, and the clack of the heels on the floor and the feeling that she's going to do something mad like that it grabbed me at that point you know? well that is a scene in uh, uh, Women of the Virgin Earth's Breakdown the heels clacking. is it like a direct lift from his own yeah. work um, yes and you know there's the scene with the axe is in Law of Desire but when you see Carmen Mara with the axe it's like you're seeing a fury <laughs> like a force out of control like, like raw pain unleashed right you never feel that with Tilda Swinton and in fact there was a there's a moment because you know when she's going when you have a close-up of her heels clicking in the flat and you realize they're leopard skin heels yeah mm. and actually there's very le little leopard about Tilda no, Swinton I like, uh -huh. I like that see what I like about Tilda Swinton's performance and maybe it's something that is part of her persona more generally is that sense of reservation, and that when she goes mad, like she's going to go mad with the axe, you know, she attacks that suit with an axe, and it doesn't hurt the suit, she's, she's attacking it on a bed, it's not cutting anything, she's just letting loose, and it's the idea that, like, she's letting loose unprofessionally, like, she doesn't know how to let loose, because, like, she never has before, mm. you know, and the feeling like she's been driven to, to do something she doesn't know how to do properly, but it's, it's like, that's what, that's the state that she's been driven mm. to that's what i like about her whereas with another actress whose performance might show much more kind of superficial mm. uh, as in on the surface emotional fragility and rawness it would feel less of a shock that she does that actually mm. till swinton you're like oh but what's driven this woman to do this because she can't even do it properly she's never done it before well as i said i ended up appreciating her at the end yeah because it's a very different kind of performance in the role than you're used to it is much more reserved, you know, much more in control. Even, even when she's being out of control, you sense a sense of reserve, which is very atypical for the role. And I thought while well, watching it wrong. Hmm. Yeah. And then actually, you know, that moment where she's staring at the flames, you know, and then you see her outside and then she walks out. It kind of uh, made me rethink the performance. Yeah. And kind of put it in a different place. And I think I ended up really appreciating it as well. Hmm. I see, I think that's something that she moves to. So like that, that madness when she's attacking the suit is as unhinged as she can be. And by the time she's burning down mm. the set and the flat in the apartment, whatever, she has regained control by mm. that point. That's that. So so she loses control when she tears up the suit or tries to. And by the end, she has made a decision to burn down that flat. Mm. You know, she does it very deliberately. She's on the phone. She's talking her lover through it, mm. and she leaves very deliberately. It's a growth of the character. All right, well, I loved it and I'm definitely going to see it again. So what is your final verdict? Uh, I'm probably not going to see it again, but, you know, there's all things in moderation. It was still good. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it is. It's very good. And, it's, and I, was, I was really surprised at how much I got into it. Mm. And I was really surprised at how short it felt mm. for a film that I really thought is going to be pretty mopey. Right. It moved 
<laughs> yeah. So, and it's not Monty, actually. Um, no, it has its moments. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's really dazzlingly beautiful. I mean, you know, that shade of red until the Swinton is really a thing of beauty on its own, actually. It's really quite marvelous. And her, the image of her lying in that olive green bedspread, yeah, wearing that red suit, uh, that red dress, that red pantsuit with, you know, the man's suit next to her. It's just an extraordinary image, and, and there are many of them in the film, I think. Mm. But that is really what it's about, the imagery and the tone, because and the performance, because uh, thinking about the dialogue, there isn't, a, there isn't a moment of dialogue, a line of dialogue I can remember. Um, and that's a, that is the weakness yeah. in the film, yeah, because Absolutely. I mean, you know, there are reasons why this monologue, which has turned into an opera, which has been remade millions of times, including several times by Almodovar, there's a reason why it continues to live and resonate and continues to be performed and mm. so on, right? And it's it's all, I mean, a play is all language, it's language yeah, exactly. and structure. So actually, it's a fault I think in this work that that doesn't reverberate more. It, that is where it falls down. Um, because I can only speak about the story really in generalities. Mm. It gets hard to get specific about what she's thinking, where she is, because you can't remember really anything that she says. Mm. It's not poetic or striking enough. Mm. Um, that's an issue. And I think it has to do with English. <laughs> yeah, with him not being in control of you know the language, the connotations, the yeah, the reverberations. And it's an odd thing to talk about with Almodovar because usually when you talk about him. You're talking about the visual, mm. right? You know, and you know the oral and the dialogue and so on is taken for granted. But actually, you know, now that you see him working in another language, you appreciate, you know, all that he brings to the Spanish language, all the more. Well, you certainly do. I do. I don't speak a word of All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, YouTube and something else, Spotify. Our social media is Facebook and Twitter, and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much for listening. Uh, The film is currently playing on Mobi, Mm -hmm. and we highly recommend uh, that you see it. Thank you very much. (laughs) Bye-bye.